everyone, this is Tim Pichot, and today we are joined by economic historian John Snyson, also of World Alternative Media, and we are joined by Kirk Chisholm. So Kirk is ranked, recognized as being one of the seven most influential advisors in America, according to Vestipedia. He, we, and just for the, the record, we do work together. So he is, uh, you know, one of the guys who I talk with. Actually, the two guys who are on screen right now are probably the two guys I talk to more on a daily basis than just about anybody. <laughs> and they never talked to each other before. So it's good that we're getting, you know, the meeting of the minds here today. But, you know, and obviously I wish you guys, you know, a happy Easter. But, uh, you know, uh, welcome to the show, Kirk. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tim. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, the first thing and what we're going to show right now on screen, you guys, you know, the, the people can see it, but you guys can. It's, show, it's a picture of uh, Jim Cramer, and it's saying the Dow's best week since 1938. And uh, peakprosperity.com, Chris Martin is saying this photo captures exactly why we titled today's podcast with uh, Tlaib, The Unfairness Economy. And then uh, we th then goes on to uh, show uh, there's been a 95, 96% drop in airport traffic, but yet all the airlines are up, you know, 18% on United Airlines, 15% you know, on American Airlines and other airlines, you know, similar stories. And then, uh, you know, this article is talking about being long pitchforks and water canyons. Uh, but then what I really want to get, you know, Kirk's take on and John's take on as well is, you know, have we, are we in this, you know, V-shaped recovery? We're showing, uh, we're showing cnbc right now and it says a bear market rally or v-shaped bounce and then we they're gonna have a trader break it down but we get something even better we were gonna have kirk chisholm be able to break this down for us but if we go into the first article right now a market completes a 50 percent bear market retracement and as the article goes on to say if you wonder why we're seeing a huge divergence in the past three weeks between the economy and where investor psychology has taken the market just remember it's all about the fed Market psychology is having a V-shaped recovery from total panic while the economy still looks horrible. S&P futures implied volatility is down 50% from the max panic level that we hit mid-March. Can the psychological rally be sustained? Is this just a vicious bear market rally? Will the reality of a devastated global economy pull the market back down? And if the market price action shows us that investors are growing fearful again, will the Fed just throw up their hands in the air and say, sorry, we gave it our best shot and that's all we could do? I don't think so. In for a penny, in for a pound. And this is uh, from Victor Adair of PI Financial. And then, uh, you know, really, I think the crux of the article, as we go on all the way down to the bottom, it goes on to say uh, somewhere down the, long, down the lines. Here we go. Uh, so this is just some of the things that we have of the economic backdrop right now. We've got a complete shutdown of the economy, 15 million jobless claims in three weeks, 20% unemployment, 20 to 25% negative GDP growth, 30% of mortgages and forbearance, a dramatic drop in both personal and corporate consumption, a massive reduction in capital expenditures and private investment, a crushing of consumer and business confidence, a depletion of consumer corporate savings. And then finally, the article goes on to say, no bear market in history for any reason has ever ended with valuations between 20 and 28% earnings. What does Kirk Chisholm have to say about, uh, about, about this? So we've got some people thinking it's just a straight up V recovery. Other people thinking, hey, this is going to be a lot longer. Then we've got uh, Ben Bernanke saying, hey, you know, this is actually just a snowstorm. But, you know, you're up there in Boston right now. You know something, a thing or two about snowstorms. What do you think, uh, you know, this has to do with? Is this a snowstorm or, or do investors have a lot more, you think, to, uh, you know, be on the lookout for, Kirk? Well, you know, I, I want to start by saying I want to make one correction. I'm actually not in Boston at the moment, down Cape Cod, because I want to, nothing to do with Boston right now. It is a complete mess. Uh, you can't you can't go outside. It's just I can't even describe how miserable it is. And I'm down here on the beach and I love it. So uh, we decided to use a little financial resilience and get out of the city early before other people figured that out. 
Um, but to get back to your point, um, I, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be at all-time highs by next week. I mean, you know, they're printing money. They're, they're throwing money left and right at, at everything. They're trying to boost up asset prices to the moon. Uh, as Tim knows, I'm generally a pretty even-keeled guy. But, you know, I have to say um, what they're trying to do doesn't really make any sense, but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I mean, one thing I've realized long ago is if you, you know, if you think about what's the, what's going to frustrate the most amount of people, that's probably the most likely thing that's going to happen. And right now, the thing that would be most frustrating to the most amount of people would be keep going higher. Now, it doesn't make any sense. I, I don't think it makes any sense. Actually, right now, we're, we're actually taking out some, uh, some protection on the position because the, uh, uh, the index is, as you said, it's a 50% retracement. Uh, you know, we started putting on protection right before on Thursday, right before the uh, the market closed for Friday, because the Friday was off, and we looked to put more on on Monday because I just think it's just it. I, I just I think it's nice that it bounced, but I don't see how this market is going to rebound. I think if by the end of the by the end of next week, if they said, all right, we're opening everything back up, we'll be fine. Uh, I think it, everyone would just say, all right, it's a bump in the road. All right, I acknowledge it. We just say, yeah, these earnings are going to be really bad. Let's just ignore this quarter and just move on. And I think people would probably be willing to do that. But given the fact that, I mean, just going by my kids, I got kids, they're not going back to school until early May. And that's assuming they go back at all. Everyone I've talked to says they're, you know, they'll be lucky if, if summer camps are going to be open. So if we're talking another, if we're talking three months, six months, nine months, some people are talking about whether school goes back. I, I don't see how we're not in, in another depression. Yeah, Bill, I mean, Bill Gates says uh, no one should have any mass gatherings until there's a max vaccine. There's a mass vaccine of the population and there's, you know, that's 18 months away. So, right. I mean, but I don't know who, you know, who made him president all of a sudden with uh, having any degree on anything. But uh, so. <laughs> people, people listen to smart people it doesn't mean they're right. You know? It's like people, people follow celebrities it doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. Right. Um <laughs> So, but I think what, what we're going to see is um, from everything that I've read, it sounds like what we're probably going to see is we're going to see a little bit, at least in Boston, they said that they're going to start opening things up when they realize that the hospitals are not getting overwhelmed. So if by the beginning of May, the hospitals are not overwhelmed, then they're going to start opening it up. That's what I've heard. Now, that has nothing to do with what the federal level is going to say, but um, I, I just don't see how this is going to be a good thing. I mean, if you think about, I think we should just companies. keep Boston and New York City and uh, like Los Angeles. We should just quarantine them for like five years. Uh, Put up then, a wall. Yeah, we should build a wall just around <laughs> around those places. So to speak. <laughs> Sorry, you, you do have to go. You do have to go back to those areas. So I know that you can't trash it too much. So <laughs> yeah, I, no, it's, I, it's I, escaped, I escaped. I escaped New York uh, ahead of time, so I'm able to. Uh, yeah, you were you were so, lucky. You went to you went to a much much better climate. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, here's what it comes down to. You you have big companies, you know, you've got like the, uh, I won't say them because I don't, I don't want to get in trouble from the regulators, but just say the big companies, the online sales companies, they'll do fine. You know, the large, um, you know, large cap companies in general, excluding travel and, and hospitality should do okay. You know, in general, they have the balance sheet to sustain long periods of, let's say, bad conditions. But let's just for a moment, just say that they're not going to get bailed out. And I think we all know that they will. Let's talk about the small business owners. They're the lifeblood of the U.S. economy. And all they gave business owners was eight weeks of, of a boost of, you know, free money, which I have to say was pretty nice. 
the fact that they did that because eventually sessions. Well, yeah, eventually. Yeah, that's a whole other problem. In past recessions, they totally ignored the small businesses, or at least they're giving consideration to them. But um, I think it might be a few months before they actually even get any money. I mean, we're going through that with a bunch of clients, and it's just, it's a mess. It's not that anyone's trying to be hard. It's just uh, there's a big bottleneck with the banks, with the regulations. It's it, They wanted to get the money in the hands of business owners yesterday, and it's a huge bottleneck, and people are going to get hurt. And if you're talking about a business shutting down for six months, restaurants have a profit margin of about one to two months. That's their profit margin. So if they have to pay rent and they can't make any revenue for six months, we're not going to have any restaurants in this country at the end of this. I mean, if you really think about it, the, the bailouts are going to get bigger and bigger because they're going to have to. They can't just say you can't leave your home and, oh, by the way, sorry about your business. We're not, the whole country, we'd have 50% unemployment in, overnight if they did that. So I, I think there's there's some significant problems, and I don't want to take up all the time. I want to let John talk a little bit too, but I, I think there's some significant problems out there that I foresee. I don't see this going away soon. I think this this is a dead cat bounce. Earnings season is going to start really soon, and it's just going to start. It's going to look ugly. We'll see if Wall Street takes it for takes it with a grain of salt. But the way that they're printing money, uh, Wall Street tends to look at the Fed's printing money. We're just going to boots the market up no matter what the news. So honestly, it's it's a toss up here. I think I'm going with the 50% retracement, but I could definitely see the argument for it keep going just because the Fed's printing money and that's how things work now. It's now, now a, do you have ways to help protect your clients? For, because obviously you have a, you know, a deflation risk that's out there in the market, but also the inflation risk of you know, the Fed is going stupid. I mean, not if they go stupid. I mean, I think they've already they've already crossed that Rubicon and it's just, you know, the, it's just how quickly and how stupid they'll get. And it's, it's, no, here we are, three high-level guys, you know, just using these like terminology of like, that's just how stupid. But they've already gone yeah. beyond even what I even thought was that they would do in such a short time period. And people accuse me of exaggerating or trying to fear monger when it comes to the Federal Reserve. And they've even blown away what I thought would be the initial right off the bat. And I think I did see the other day, I don't have the exact stats, but it showed what the, how much corporate businesses pay in taxes. Then it also showed what the individuals pay in taxes. And basically, you know, the corporate tax bailout is going to be way more for... So in terms of what the corporations pay in versus what they end up uh, receiving, they're getting way more than what they even pay in taxes. Whereas, you know, the individuals are getting... It's like chicken feet. So, okay, well, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Smith, you get, uh, you know, $3,000, but yet as a family of four, but yet, you know, we have to get $60,000 in debt to get that three grand. But luckily, because of government indoctrination, uh, people aren't really good at math. So people are like, oh, just give me, give me, give me, give me my $1,200. Uh, but John, I mean, let's, let's have you go in there and let's see what you, what you think about, uh, you know, what the market's up to and it, if this is just a snowstorm and uh, where you see things are, where you see things headed. No, I definitely don't see a snowstorm. And this comes back to my risk report that I put out in in October 2019 called the Global Risk Report 2020. Uh, I, I called it we're entering an economic ice age because problem is, uh, historically, when you, when you push uh, towards too much debt into society, you hit a point that's called peak debt in, in any uh, fiat currency cycle throughout history. And when you hit that point, uh, that when there's nobody else that could you know, lever up and get into more debt, uh, because you, you hit a limit because with, uh, you know, the, on the one side, you have the salaries of employees and bonuses and all this stuff. You know, it needs to increase with, you know, the asset prices and everything else or else you end up with like San Francisco where people, you know, live in cars uh, that have full time jobs, uh, all this stuff. So 
uh, over time, uh, you get that disconnect, uh, huge disconnect between, you know, the working class, <laughs> their salaries and what, you know, actual prices are going up. And then, uh, you know, you get a huge backlash because they can't, uh, even the working class can't get into more debt because they just can't, simply can't afford uh, that more debt on top of, uh, you know, their current salaries. So that's what uh, what is the underlying cause is we, we've hit peak debt and, you know, the $10 trillion in corporate uh, debt out there. And of course, uh, in 2018, 78% uh, of that was rated junk uh, that came out uh, in the United States. So there's uh, there's a huge warning there with this corporate debt. So the, the stock market could do whatever it wants. And, and they'll probably try to, you know, prop up the stock market as they have, you know, since 2008. The, the, the two main focuses was the real estate markets around the world and the stock markets. Here in Canada, for example, we've just had a bubble that have you know, epic proportions, especially in Vancouver and Toronto, uh, where you've seen, you know, the just the housing prices go ballistic. Like the, we had almost uh, 15 to 20 percent gain in a year uh, some in some, you know, cities around Toronto. Uh, and that is not sustainable uh, whatsoever. But that is what, you know, they want to give this wealth effect into where, you know, most people have their retirement savings, uh, which unfortunately today, most of it, it sits in, in houses or you have a little bit in your 401k or in your RSP here in, in, in uh, Canada. And, and th that is the major focus that they need to make the people feel wealthy, the, the, the baby boomers, because they are the ones that actually has money. Now the, uh, our generation, Tim ha has very little money actually saved up and I uh, can't, you know, uh, buy uh, the stocks that, you know, now we're getting forced to sell because where a lot of baby boomers are hitting that age where here in Canada at 71, where you got to start selling off your portfolio. And then they also have to, you know, uh, a lot of times they want to, you know, downgrade from what they have. And if they saved, you know, all their money to their house, uh, they want to sell that house now. Uh, but who's going to actually buy that? Because if, if you're in Toronto, Vancouver, and San Francisco, or New York, those houses or apartments, they're way too overexpensive for anybody to really afford. And then you're going to see a, as that deflationary pressure on top of all the debt that we have uh, is going to start taking hold and really, uh, you know, put a lot more pressure onto the economy. So I, I think we, we could see, you know, recovery from this, a quick recovery. Uh, but I definitely don't really see it because they're basically put on a bandaid uh, on a gushing uh, wound. And, you know, eventually it will just stop, uh, you know, profusely bleeding again. And, they, they probably have to, you know, uh, what they should have done is put on a tourniquet and actually, you know, stop the bleeding. You would still lose the leg, you know, it'd still be horrible. But I think that what they really needed to do is not, you know, just bail out left, right and center, put out all these programs. Like, for example, the uh, it's hilarious. Well, I think I, I think they shouldn't have cut off our legs and our arms to begin with. So we weren't bleeding out to begin with. So what was it Harry Brown who said the government's good at, you know, breaking yeah. your leg and then giving you a crutch afterwards to help you out? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's interesting because you're looking at like the bailout that the actual citizens are getting, you know, versus like I said, let's say that we just keep it at six trillion dollars, but it's going to be way more. Uh, but if we did that and then we did the twelve hundred to every working class citizen that was getting paid under 75,000, but there's a lot of people that won't get paid because they don't qualify all this stuff. But I just did a blatant, like oh, run all the, those numbers without, you know, taking account for all those like people that can't qualify. It would be 1.77% of the total bailout money went to the, to actually the, the people that are working. And then of course, very little, you know, goes to the small businesses that are the backbone. And, and a lot of them here in Canada, it's, it's way worse than <laughs> 
uh, than what we were talking about. You know, the small mom pop shops, a lot of them don't even have, you know, cash past like a week or two. There's that much indebted. Uh, they lived on debt. And, you know, when you become addicted to debt, it's like trying to wean some somebody off of heroin. I had uh, my, my neighbors had uh, their son, you know, uh, unfortunately, he was hooked on heroin and, you know, it takes forever to actually wean him off and he almost died, you know, going back on it. So what we're seeing now is just the Fed is trying to, you know, inject more heroin into the system, all this debt that they're, you know, they, they're still going to grow the debt and, and people that are, you know, deferring payments, all this stuff, you know, they're actually uh, having to pay uh, even more debt now at the end of it. So it's, I, I just can't see how we're going to get better off. I, I see that we're going to see this, you know, uh, dead cat bounce, as Kirk says, and then you're probably going to see another downturn. But again, we got to remember what happened in Venezuela. Uh, I just studied Venezuela very greatly uh, recently. And, you know, their stock market went just ballistic, uh, you know, after a while because there was so much money getting pushed into the markets. Uh, and and I think that is a potential that, you know, you get that tectonic plague of uh, deflation versus inflation and suddenly one of them breaks and you got massive inflation just flooding into the economy potentially, and and I, I see of course the stock market being one of those inflationary uh, pressures yep. where it would hit the most probably. Yeah, and I wanted to uh, Kirk to comment on this, but I also want to you know, point people to the screen right now where we've got uh, this is Fed uh, former Fed uh, Governor of Dallas Richard Fisher, and on screen it says cocaine and heroin. Now I don't, it's a six minute clip, so I don't know where in here it actually says this, but in the clip he says that uh, basically that the economy was being maintained on that the economy was being grown using heroin and cocaine, and now this is as of like three years ago, or let's see, yeah, from 2016, so it's oh, almost four years ago to the day uh, that he was saying that the economy was growing on heroin cocaine and is now being maintained on Ritalin. Well, now it's being maintained in like fentanyl or like some other crazy stuff they have even above that. Uh, so sorry, I didn't, Kirk probably didn't know if we're getting into all this, where this conversation is going to get off the rails too. But uh, I, I know you probably got a lot to say about what Josh, John was up to. Yeah, I think there's some, uh, I think there's some things they put into horses to get them to race faster. That's probably what it's on now. Um, <laughs> no, I want to, I want to make a comment on, on John's comments. Cause I, I have a lot of respect for John and he's a smart guy. And, and I wanted to hear more about this, but you know, he said we'd be in an economic ice age because of the amount of debt I would actually, so I've, I've done a lot of research in the last 10 years since 2008, since that crisis. And, um, you know, I started doing this thing called the inflation monitor. Well, very quickly, I had to. I, I, I decided I either have to table this because nobody paid it, was paying any attention, or I would have to rename it because it was deflation every single month, and it got a little crazy because you know the the statistics show well there's there's inflation we have this positive inflation yet we had deflation every single month all the other statistics were showing me deflation now obviously it wasn't showing up in the CPI but it showed up in a lot of other statistics that were relevant so. I guess the, the comment I'd want to hear John talk about is, you know, everybody talks about, well, we have too much debt and we have too much debt, so we can't have any more or we're going to go bankrupt. I don't think that we can go bankrupt. I think the economic conditions will be different. And this is where I want to hear John's point of view. Um, I'm, I, I believe we have, we're in deflation and we're just trying to create all this money to create inflation, which of course isn't happening. Um, you could look at the velocity of money to that. So John, maybe you could kind of comment on that. Cause I think we probably have a lot more to go. We could probably, inf we could probably create a lot more debt from here and st still keep pushing asset prices higher. What, what do you think that, what do you think of that? I think that's definitely possible. Uh, I wrote an article three years ago talking about the Japanification of the U.S. economy. 
Uh, and and that being, you know, that the uh, Bank of Japan has, you know, bottled the debt, basically that, you know, the uh, the treasury in Japan has created. Uh, so you could see a lot of that happening where they just you know, go out and, and buy all the debt directly. Now they're doing programs, right, where they have uh, corporate bonds that they're buying because of uh, the uh, default risks and all this stuff. So, yeah, no, no, I definitely see what you're saying that, you know, there's uh, there's a way that, you know, they're going to try to fight it. Uh, they can try to fight it like Japan did. Uh, Japan hasn't gotten to that point, as I said, where, you know, one of them has won yet. It's just like constantly fighting each other, the the, the deflation and the uh, inflationary aspect of, of the economy. But, you know, definitely there's, uh, of course, the Federal Reserve will never go bankrupt. It could print itself into a they, they actually passed a law saying that they couldn't go bankrupt like a couple yeah. years ago. And I'm not, <laughs> yeah. even, I'm not even like they did yeah. some accounting gimmicks saying that they couldn't go bankrupt. And actually, I had a question that got asked to Janet Yellen through my congressman, uh, David Schweiker. He's like, does anyone have any questions? And uh, they actually picked my question. And actually, then Peter Schiff used it in one of his, maybe we can uh, get some comments too about Kirk and Peter Schiff. But we ended up getting <laughs> Uh, no, but we ended up, uh, he ended up using it as part of his podcast. He's like, you know, this is a pretty boring episode, it's boring, uh, boring commentary by the Fed, except for this one question that snuck through. And I mean, it's super inside baseball, but we've got a lot of inside baseball guys probably watching this right now. And basically what the question said was, you know, right now you get 6% of all the interest of all the dividends, of, but what happens in the event where you're not making any money anymore? What happens instead of sending 6% profit to the treasury? What happens if you, if rates actually do go up, like you say, they're going to go up, then, th then that interest rate risk will then actually create losses and then also because of imbalances between what you're paying out to the member banks versus what you could be uh you know getting from a bond if that ends up you know if let's say you're collecting one percent and then you're paying out two and you're not are you gonna have to send the treasury a bill and she actually said that my uh scenario was mathematically impossible now i mean an <laughs> alien attack tomorrow is possible and yet this is exact but then you, you'll see that the recent language of the fed uh fed treasury like their, that whole deal is that basically that the fed that the treasury is going to give them 454 billion dollars of funds they're going to lever lever that up eight times and that if there's losses that the treasury is in a first loss position so that in essence that the uh fed gets to keep profits if there are any profits, but then we, the people then get stuck with all the losses if there are losses. But yes, now people have then somehow misconstrued that comment to mean that Trump is now the new chairman of the Federal Reserve and that he's done like a one around to somehow sneak attack and really take down the Fed when really the Fed's only product is debt. And now that you've given them the ability to own more things, I mean, it's all this money printing. It's a very uh, high level, really hard concept to grasps your head around trying to think of how printing money can actually lead to deflation. But then you take a look at money velocity. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, even before this crisis, I mean, it was basically frozen. And so the Fred, there's only so much debt corporations are willing to take on and people are willing to take on. And now people aren't willing to take them on. So you've got the Fed coming in and we take a look at the screen over here. They're buying ETFs uh, directly. And, and, you know, and I don't know if you guys can even know, read that on the screen, but uh, you know, I'm not going to read them off for regulation reasons. And we're not, you know, hinting at anybody to go buy those, but this is essentially corporate fascism, having the Fed coming out and buying individual sovereign bonds and uh before i kick it back to john and kirk i just want to be able to show everybody the money gun so we've got so we've been making it rain non-stop with fed and they keep keep trump keep america great again and we do have for kirk we do have trump dollar nice. bills over here 
But uh, yeah, it's just you know we gotta have some you know levity in this in this conversation <laughs> as you know we're just printing our way to oblivion. But I think it is a fascinating discussion of how printing money can lead to deflation. And it was it was one of our founding fathers said you know first by inflation if we ever allow a private central bank to issue the currency and credit of this nation first by inflation then by deflation we will end up homeless on the continent our forefathers conquered. And so it's and we asked if things are gonna go back to normal is one of the things we asked we asked in the beginning. And it's it's I think it depends on who it's gonna get back to normal four. So I think it will get back to normal pretty quickly for the top 10% in America, but for the bottom 90%, I'm not sure how quickly things will get back to normal for them. And maybe if, if I can have uh, maybe Kirk comment on that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great, that's a great comment, Tim. And, and, and to, to kind of uh, finish off from John's comments, I think that he made a great point about, um, about Japan. And we did a lot of research in Japan a bunch of years ago, just because we saw them as, as just being slightly ahead of us. You know, they they kept they went through their their boom and then they they crashed and they haven't come out of it and they're just in this stagnation for the last was it thirty years, um, and you know their their market has has bounced around a lot and they just keep printing money and they just keep buying it up and and it's going nowhere and they're in deflation they're stuck in deflation and everyone's afraid of becoming Japan. Um, I think we are I think we already are where Japan is. It's just the asset prices in the market haven't reflected that. But income and the people people's are, income, yeah. median income hasn't hasn't changed. Like there's a bunch of stuff that hasn't changed. They look at commodity prices have gone down. Um, they keep dropping. So as far as I'm concerned, we're in deflation. Just the stock prices aren't reflecting that. And the, what the Fed's doing is basically manipulating stock prices um, and real estate, I should say, because real estate also has gone through the roof. And I love but when it, Trump like, comes out and calls, you know, China or somebody else a currency manipulation manipulator when the Fed is the biggest <laughs> currency manipulator in the world. I mean, I don't know how that point was never lost on anybody. Well, Sorry about that, Kirk. Yeah. You know. So if you kind of look at, um, you know, and that's a funny comment because everybody says, well, is, is the Fed manipulating the markets or, you know, is Fed manipulating gold? Well, every central bank around the world is manipulating the markets. Well, <laughs> they wouldn't exist. That. That's literally their job. Their, their, yeah. their entire purpose is manipulating the markets and what should yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're acknowledging the fact that they're doing it. It's not, a it's not a secret. People are like, oh, they're going to manipulate the markets. They already are. That's part of their job, like you said, Tim. So I think that, you know, it... The deflation, the way I see it is we're, we'll hit deflate. We're in deflation now, just like Japan. And then at some point, almost overnight, we're going to hit inflation and it's going to go through the roof. And I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's when hyperinflation happens. But all these people were saying, oh, it's, you know, buy gold because it's going to because you're worried about inflation. You're too early. It's not that gold's a bad investment. We own gold, too. I mean, I love gold. Gold should be, it's doing really well and should continue to do well. But the point is, is, is that, you know, when you really see the way economies work historically, deflation supersedes, you know, hyperinflation. And that's just what we have now. And who knows how we're going to get there. But as long as the velocity of money is, keeps dropping, then we're not going to have that inflation that people are seeking. And deflation could actually lead to the hyperinflation because since our monetary system is based off of debt, and I would uh, highly recommend people go check out my YouTube channel, and one of the videos on the very top says, uh, we are all slaves to central banks. And in there, I used a clip from Hidden Secrets of Money Part 4 with Mike Maloney, where it shows that, let's say let's say this is, represents debt and this represents uh, money. You're, you Since the currency is based off of debt, you always have more debt than you have money. And so in deflation, the entire system eventually Implodes. So then, to to help protect it, I'll say you know help in air quotes over here. To then help the economy not go through a deflationary uh, spiral, that they have to then promote inflation. But then, like Kirk was alluding to, that overnight 
it can flip from deflation to then hyperinflation and game over. You know, it's uh, you know, thanks for playing. You know, we're in South Park going around the roulette, and you know, it's all gone now. Uh, you know, what, what do you have to say about that, John? Well, if people st- stop using, you know, the currency in the first place, that's also what have created hyperinflation throughout history, because then the government has to just print exorbitant amounts of cash in order to keep themselves running because there's no income through taxation. Uh, that that have happened a, a lot through history. And it comes to a breaking point where people's like, well, I can't take a US dollar as a medium of exchange anymore or the Canadian dollar. And, but it's not going to happen in the US first if that happens. It's going to happen in the periphery states of the, this current global fiat currency standard. It's uh, happening in other countries first. And then eventually when there's nowhere else to hide, it's we're, we're in the United States. Uh, but another interesting thing, we're talking about currency manipulators. And of course, the, the US has been a manipulator since you know, 1930s, uh, when they actually created a fund, and we're going to actually get into that a little bit later about this interesting fund, the Exchange Stabilization Fund. It was created by uh, don't, uh, don't, don't don't threaten Kirk and I with a good time and talk about the ESF. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, it was created back, uh, you know, in 1933 uh, during the Gold Act. And uh, they actually, you know, uh, created that trust fund from $2 billion of uh, the revaluation that they got from, uh, you know, taking some people's gold out of their hands and then uh, creating that. So, they, yeah, they actually created this. This, uh, hey, that was back. a liberal policy by the bastion of all liberals, yeah. FDR. How dare you, yeah. John Snyder? Well, and, and, and they, when they were putting people that. in concentration camps with the Japanese and Italians, they were also taking yeah. their property. But that's liberal. Yeah. That's, yeah. Sorry. No, it's no, it's interesting though. They, it, you know, it's funny. It was actually Trump just recently also said that you know why is why is China still a developing uh, economy? You know, then we should also be developing. Economy, he said <laughs> that was another funny comment that i thought that he had but yeah i know it's a, i think it just comes down to the point where the people can't afford food anymore on their table uh we can keep on the scheme going just look at france and other countries where people literally are in the streets because they can't afford food anymore that's where you hit throughout history with this currency except, except now you're not allowed and, yeah. to be except now you're not we're so free you're not even allowed to be on the streets well, anymore. It was, yeah it, it was a perfect <laughs> i guess it was a perfect fit because there was so much protest around the world and then you know now it's not allowed <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, you did tease this for the next video. And so, guys, you know, I appreciate everybody, you know, uh, you know, hanging with us for this video. But what we're going to do is we're going to throw things over to my channel. It's the Tim Pichot, the Liberty Advisor. And uh, and we do want to say, you know, uh, happy Easter to Luke Radowski, who's taking a day off. Maybe he's uh, practicing how to say my last name, hopefully, because we know, uh, you know, he's basically been saying it like the entire economy is going to Pichot. And so, uh, so you know, one of these days, one of these, these days, he'll get my name right. But until then, happy Easter, Luke. But this is what we're going to tease you guys with we've got jim kramer just absolutely gushing over the federal reserve so in the next video on the other channel we're going to talk about the federal reserve all their alphabet soup programs that they're coming up with and basically you know how they're stealing our money to go benefit the banks but here we go into this uh clip from uh, our good friend jim kramer and I- i'm very impressed i i the fed is is just very it, the fed is a, on its game and this is what is needed because we got to fight off a depression we got to get america open for business yeah, so there you go. Jim Cramer, the Fed is on its game. We're going to see Thanks. what game that is. If it's trade idea. Up. Sorry, I got an advertising plane in. But anyways, thank you guys for hanging. It's Tim Pichot along with John Snyson and Kirk Chisholm with Change News. Actually, real quickly, Kirk, where, where can people find out more about you? Uh, you know, I know you you guys are, I've got like the LinkedIn champions down here with, uh, I think both, each of you have like 35,000. But where can people find you, uh, find out more about your firm and give, give a quick plug? Also, you are the host of the Money Tree podcast. So if you want to just give out all your credentials and where people can find you. 
Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah, so you can, I'm a principal and wealth manager at Innovative Advisor Group. You can go to innovativewealth.com. And on that website, you'll find everything about me. Uh, Tim, Tim, I work with Tim as well. You can find Tim there. Uh, if you want to learn about self-directed IRAs, we have probably one of the best resources on the internet for self-directed IRAs. Um, and you can find me on the usual social media channels. And as Tim said, I'm also the host of the uh, Money Tree Investing Podcast, one of the longest running investment podcasts out there. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Tim. No, thank you. Thank you so much for being such a great uh, wealth of knowledge. And I also recommend when, if you guys go over and check out my channel, we did a video with Kirk uh, probably about a month and a half ago. And I super highly recommend. I didn't want to have a replay of that of that video over here. So you guys are going to get all brand new information over there. And uh, coming from somebody who made most of the gains last year and almost got none of the losses this year, super valuable information. If you want to check out how uh, we were able to do that, you guys can head to my channel. Also head to innovativewealth.com. And then John, you guys can go to theeconomictruth.org. Uh, I, I was showing this on the screen for people where you guys can go and get one of his reports uh many reports actually there but anyways thank you guys for hanging catch us on the other channel and hope you guys have a great easter take care